If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 14. And we've got a, a, one of the most famous bits of the Bible now. Uh, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 men. That's interesting, isn't it? 5,000 men. Matthew and Mark are pretty specific about this. Uh, and what that means is that it's actually a crowd of about 10,000 people. I don't know why they only counted the blokes, but uh, they did. Uh, and so we're talking about a crowd of about 10,000 people. The, the uh, size of about Olveston. Who, who's seen a crowd of 10,000 people before? Yeah. Uh, how, how many people, if we feel the Bell Reeve, how many people can feel at Bell Reeve? Is that about 17? So it's a, it's a little bit less than half of a full Bell Reeve. How many can, how many can pack into the uh, basketball place we've got here with the, the Tassie Jack Jumpers or whatever they are? My state. Anyone know? Five or six. So it's about double my state, a little bit less than Bell Reeve. You, you imagine standing up the front of a crowd of that. Can you imagine 10,000 people? Can you imagine that? Now imagine standing up the front. Just imagine, imagine they're here right now and they go, they go a fair way back. Eh? I reckon they go way back past the grass. They'd go into the neighbours probably. A crowd, imagine a crowd of 10,000 people. Now imagine Jesus is standing here with you and he says, you give them something to eat. How'd you feel? You give them something to eat. Imagine if you knew that what you had on hand was five loaves, but when they said loaves, they didn't mean like a Crips loaf. It's not like that. It's like a, a small loaf. is like a, a hand, like a more like a dinner roll kind of thing. Is kind of what they, they meant by a loaf, and uh, a few fish. Have you ever felt like the need in front of you is far greater than anything you can muster? I reckon that's kind of the point of this story. I, what, if, what if Jesus actually got our church together? Or even the church, all, all, everyone involved with the church? got us all together in one place and put all the people of Tasmania in front of us and said, go and give them a hand. They're hungry. They need some food. Meet them at their point of need. I have a sense that he might be doing that. Do you know that there are a number of people in Tassie who have needs? Do you know that? I just pulling up some stats. Do you know that forty percent of Tassie young people, aged eighteen to nineteen, uh, have experienced some kind of violence in the last in their relationships over the last twelve months, and that compares to twenty eight percent nationally. So more of our young people are suffering violence than people in other parts of the, in the other parts of the country 
Do you know that Tasmanians lose $300,000 a day to poker machines? That in the Glenorchy local government area alone, uh, in one year they lost $19 million, which is the equivalent of $465 a head for every person over 15. Do you know that 11.5% of Tas Tasmanians, as opposed to 8.8% of all Australians, uh, about 64,000 people here in this state, have, report to having a long-term mental health condition. Did you know that 45% of people aged between 18 and 24 report as feeling significantly lonely and not having significant attachments with other people. And do you know that 23% of older Tasmanians living with profound or severe disability live, on, live by themselves without support? And 60% of older people in Tasmania who rent are living in poverty. These are just some stats. But just imagine for a minute, Jesus has got us up there in front of Tasmania and say, look, here's the crowd. You feed them. I wonder if that's what he's wanting to do. And I, I actually think this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is actually pretty important because it points out what does it mean for us to respond to the needs that are actually in front of us. To understand it well, you need to be able to put it in context. Now, we've just finished looking at chapter 12. Then in chapter 13, we looked at the, the, the parables of Jesus last year. You have to excuse me, I have to pull up the hanky every now and then to uh, deal with the runny nose. So, as I said, uh, keep your distance. Um, and Jesus finishes his discussion about the parables, if you want to flick over just quickly to chapter 13, he says, uh, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. What he's assuming is his followers are going to be able to do two things. They're going to know the profound story of how God has changed the world in and through Jesus. They're going to know the old treasures of the Bible. They're going to know the big story. But they're also going to be able to work out what is God's word, what is the new thing? What's God's word for this moment? See, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast this week and they reckon that uh, every 30 years or so, they enter a new era where kind of the old answers don't work anymore and you're, you're, there's a new reality in front of us. I don't know what it is, but it's clearly this is a, this is, we're, we're in a, a new time. There are new questions our young people are facing and our older people are facing that we weren't facing 30 years ago. Things are quite different. I remember my dad used to get up and say, when my son is middle-aged... 90% uh, of the jobs that people will be working in will not have been invented yet. And that's when I was seven or something, uh, around that sort of age. And, uh, and um, 
And it's true. Most of the most of the work people are doing now wasn't invented when I was a kid. Do you know there used to be a cartoon by, by the guy, the Far Side guy. Remember the Gary Larson, the Far Side, uh, and where this kid was playing computer games and. And his, parent, and his parents were dreaming that one day he'd be able to grow up and find a, a job playing computer games. Turns out you can now. The world has changed remarkably. But we need to work out what is God's word for... Jesus is assuming his followers will be able to bring out of the storeroom new treasures as well as old, that we'd be grounded in the old story, but we'd know what his heart is for this moment. He goes on, the story goes on, and Jesus goes home... Uh, and he goes uh, to where he grew up and people knew him as a kid and a teenager and, and people said, hang on, isn't this, this kid who was like 13 a minute ago? Why should we listen to him? And one of the things that becomes clear is one of the dangers for, for, for followers of Jesus is you can get too familiar. You can get too familiar with the incredible news of the gospel and, and then you don't see the significant impact of it. And then we hear the story of Herod and the death of John. I reckon Herod is a picture of the opposite of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Do you know... He is the first Jewish person in recorded history to have a birthday party for himself. Because that was a Greek custom. He liked himself so much he threw a party for himself. One of, the, one of the dangers is for us, we can be focused on ourselves. He was motivated by his own desires and his own appetites and he ignored any moral boundary. He does what he doesn't want to do because he's worried about how people see him. He attacks anyone with the courage to disagree with him and he sacrifices innocent people in service to his own ego. I reckon part of the reason that so many of our brothers and sisters here in Tassie are suffering is there's too many Herods. Too many people fighting for their own agenda. Too many people focused on their own needs. Too many people not caring and not seeing and too many people throwing parties for themselves this world says the most important person in your life is you and Jesus now models a different way so we come to this story if you got if you've got your bibles Matthew chapter 14 verses 13 and 14 when Jesus sees this big crowd what is his response What's his response? Compassion. I reckon this is the great dilemma. He actually does two things. He sees them. He sees them. And then he has compassion on them. Isn't it much easier just to focus on yourself? Isn't it much easier to see your own needs? Now, it's interesting because there's debate as to what the text means when it says uh, when Jesus heard what had happened. But 
it looks as though he's just heard his cousin's been murdered. He's, he's going through deep personal sadness. And he wants, to, he wants to have some space. But he sees people coming. And he has compassion on them. What, who do you see and who do you have compassion on? What's the disciples' response when they see so many crowds and getting late in the day? Send them away. Um, the closest couple of towns were 1,000 and 2,000 people respectively. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where they thought they were going to, you know, where they were going to get Maccas or KFC, but uh, there, there was no place that could feed 10,000 people nearby. But it is easier, isn't it? When you see people in need, it's important, it's, it can be so easy to say, your problem is your problem. You go and sort your problem out, then come back to me when your problem's sorted out. It's a bit easier to do it that way. Let's send them away. Let's not have to look too closely. And it's in that context. Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You don't need to ignore their problems. You give them something to eat. Now, put yourself in the disciples' shoes at that point. Right. I, I don't have what it takes. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel like as you look at the needs in front of you, I just don't have what it takes. And so it is easier just to stop looking at the needs in front of us, isn't it? So they tell Jesus what they do have. And that's the starting point, I reckon. I think the starting point for Tasmania isn't superheroes saying we've got all the answers, but people just willing to see the need and saying, this is what we do have. We've got five little dinner rolls and a couple of fish. And I reckon at that point, Jesus kind of smiles. I reckon... What? Well, let's see what Jesus does next. Bring them here to me, he says, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave, gave them to his disciples and the disciple gave them, disciples gave them to the people. What does it mean to not look away but to let yourself see the needs? Management says, okay, I'm going to work out what the, what the needs are and what the resources are and how do I bring those two things together in a way that's mutually 
you know, acceptable. But the reality is you can't manage your way to feed 10,000 people with a couple of bits of bread and some fish. Faith is the choice to trust God with what you've got and let him fill the gap. What it literally means is grabbing hold of the needs of the world and not looking away, not saying it's somebody else's problem and bringing them to God and, and grabbing hold of God with all your might and then being willing for God to do something. When Jesus broke the bread, he was actually doing something pretty revolutionary. In Jewish, for Jewish people, when you break bread, that's what you do at the family table. What, he, what he's actually saying in his practice is, all these people are now my family. All these people matter. Welcome to the family dinner which is lovely. And then he gives back to the disciples what they'd given him, but in a way that's bigger and greater. I, I still don't know anybody who has done anything pretty significant for the kingdom. There seems to be this pattern where you've got to be willing to give it up. Whether it, uh, for me, one of my heroes was Keith Green uh, and, and his music. And God took him through a journey where he had to give up his music, only to have it given back to him. It was interesting, I had to, I, the journey we were on, I had to give up being in, I, I felt like I was called to Hobart to fix Hobart. We had to leave Hobart. Uh, I, I, I think God takes you on a journey where you need to be willing to let go what you think you've got hold of. You see, it's the stuff that you're not willing to surrender. That's the problem stuff. That's the stuff God will want to have a chat to you about. And that's the stuff that God can take and use to bless others. The reality is we talk a lot about calling in our church, and rightly so. I think everybody's called. But you won't find your story unless you're willing to lift your eyes and see the needs of the people around you and see the needs that are far bigger than anything you can deal with. And as you do that, you discover you need God. God's not going to call you to something that you can manage without him. He's going to call you to somewhere that is far beyond your resources. But what he will do, if you're willing to give him your loaves and fishes, give him, you know, your, what you're counting on for lunch, he's able to take that and bless it and multiply it far greater than anything you can imagine. It's interesting, this is the only miracle that turns up in every gospel in the Bible. This is the only one. It's pretty clear this is significant. Matthew's pretty intentional about putting it here. And, and it's clear that Jesus is wanting the disciples to learn something in this. Elisha was regarded as one of the greatest prophets. 
Uh, and one of the things that Jewish people would have recognised immediately is Elisha also did a miracle with bread. Back in 2 Kings, uh, a man came and, and he had, you know, 20 loaves of barley, this is 2 Kings 4, 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain and uh, Elisha said, give it to the people to eat. And and uh, it, he he managed to turn enough bread for uh, twenty people into enough bread for a hundred people. Jesus did this like a hundredfold. He he was able to turn enough bread for maybe a couple of people into enough bread for ten thousand people. And kind of in the just even in the miracle, he's saying something greater than Elisha is here. So from a theological perspective, Jewish people read this story and go, this, is a, this, this says something profound about who Jesus is. But it's more than that. Unlike Herod, who wants to throw a party for himself, Jesus is inviting us to lift our eyes and say, okay, what are the needs? What, what does it mean for me to... Stand here with you, Jesus, look out at Tasmania and say what's needed. And the disciples would have burnt, the disciples didn't have what it took to do it on their own. And neither do we. Like if God's not directing you to feed people, if God's not directing you to do something, it's a recipe for burnout if you're going to try and fix everybody's needs. But my sense is each and every one of us is called to meet other people's needs, to be a blessing. And that means letting go of what we think we have control on and letting Jesus take it and make a difference. I, I love that it's possible to change the world. I love that Tassie's actually taken a lead. Do you know that? The, back in the year 2000, there was a band called The Whitlams. Who, who's heard of The Whitlams? They had a song called Blow Up The Pokies. Uh, that's a great song. And, um, and the, the lead singer of The Whitlams just came, Tim Friedman, just came back to Devonport on the 30th of June to play that at the Devonport RSL. Do you know why? Because every RSL in Tasmania has just got rid of poker machines. They, they took a choice based on what was right, not what was convenient for their bottom line. I love that there's, there's a quiet thing happening in Tasmania at the moment uh, that you don't hear a lot about, but it's actually revolutionary. The Liberal government last year introduced uh, spending limits for poker machines. No one's actually talking about it because it doesn't come in until next year and, you know, let's hope the Liberal government survives that long to get it in place. But what it means is Tasmanians won't be able to lose more than $5,000 a year on poker machines without proving that they can afford to do so. Uh, and it means they won't be able to lose more than $100 a day on poker machines. And it's quite a remarkable piece of legislation that nobody's talking about at the moment but I happen to know the Liberal Party getting a lot of blowback on. What, I, what I'm encouraged by is there are people having a go. There are people looking around 
trying to make a difference. And I, I have a sense that Jesus is calling his church to be the kind of people who don't just look away, don't just throw themselves parties, but see where the real needs are. And don't just try and fix it all and burn out, but say, okay, Jesus, where do you want me? What, what do you got for me? I'm willing to bring you my loaves and fishes. It's all I've got. But where, where do you want to put them? And to receive from Jesus all that you have, all that you have to give is what you get from Jesus. All the disciples had to give was not their loaves and fishes, but the loaves and fishes they had given to Jesus and he'd given back to them. All Keith Green had to give was the music he'd given to Jesus and God had given back to him. What are you holding back? And what is it, wouldn't it be nice for Tassie to be a place where there's just a whole bunch of people who love Jesus and who are seeing the needs not waiting for other people to throw them a party, but seeing the real needs. And sometimes the needs are small. It can be your next-door neighbour. It can be the person down the street. Sometimes the needs are big. But as followers of Jesus, it's our task to bring our loaves and fishes, let him take them, and to stand there with him and see the need that we know we can't meet but that he invites us to meet with him. Like Jesus, we're invited to see the people and have compassion on them. Our world wants you to see yourself and have great compassion on yourself. Jesus wants you to lift your eyes to see the people and have compassion on them. Are you willing? Are you willing to bring your loaves and fishes for the sake of others? Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge uh, that there are heaps of people in our state putting up with stuff they just shouldn't have to put up with. There are children suffering. We also acknowledge sometimes it's, it's much easier to focus on ourselves and to stop and think. Sometimes it's easier to want to point to those people and say, get your act together, go and get your own food. Help us look to you, look to them and be willing. Jesus, thanks for this picture of the, uh, the Christmas thing. That may be a way that we can make a difference. But there's lots of ways we can make a difference. Help us have the courage to not look away but to see the crowds and be willing through you to give them something to eat. We ask this in your name. Amen.